good to look out and see each one of you here today uh, to enjoy a new year as we assemble together to worship God and to be able to study His Word. For those of you who may be visiting with us, we have been studying for a number of weeks from the book of Philippians. We recognize as Paul wrote this wonderful letter to this great congregation, he attempted to try to instill within them some great principles and some great teachings. And this morning we're going to study verses 8 and 9 of chapter 4. And as I have done each week, I want to begin our lesson with a question. And the question is, what is on your mind? I'm sure each one of us are at this point in the uh, service thinking about something. It's possible that secular thoughts are on your mind. You may be thinking about food. Some of you may be contemplating where we're going to eat lunch at today. Some of you may be thinking about obligations you have at work, uh, some of the things you need to do. Some of you may be thinking about sports. There's a number of things that could be on our mind that are secular, and in their time and in their place, there's nothing wrong with those things, but they really don't belong during this period of time. There are other thoughts that may be on your mind that may be even worse. They may be sinful thoughts. It's possible that you will think about someone who has wronged you, and you may have malice in your heart. There may be some anger seated there along with some hatred. It's possible there's some lust in our minds and a number of other things. These things ought not be here in the service, nor should they be outside the service as well. On the other hand, there are some spiritual thoughts that may be dominating what you're thinking about. You may be, as I thought just a few minutes ago, how wonderful it is that we can gather together in a place like this to be able to greet one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, to be able to offer some words of encouragement, and some of you need some encouragement, to be able to enjoy the love, the happiness, and the peace that we enjoy, and to try to think about how to be kinder to one another. You know, there's some good things that belong in our minds. And I ask you, what's on your mind right now? What are you thinking about? And the truth is, whatever you are dwelling upon will surface in your life. It will come out. I'd like to direct your attention to the book of Proverbs, to chapter 23 and verse 7, where Solomon says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. The passage in which this occurs, Solomon's talking about the king. And he's talking about what is in his heart is not always what comes out of his mouth. Sometimes people will tell you things to flatter you, to pat you on the back when they really don't mean it. But whatever is in a person's life will or in their heart will come out in their life. In Matthew 15, Jesus was in discussion with people who were concerned about the washing of hands and about all these rituals. 
And Jesus made it clear it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles the man. He says, but what comes out? And then he goes on to explain how the heart is so involved in what we say and what we do. He says, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witnesses, and blasphemies, among many other things. Do you see how important it is upon the things in which you think and I think? Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, not only discuss the content of what we should think upon, but also the character that we should emulate. And so this morning we're going to look at two things. Verse 8, the principles. Verse 9, the practice. So let's begin our study in verse 8. I'm going to go back and look at the things that Brother Kevin just read to us. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now, sometimes when we're reading in the Bible, there are specifics that God addresses in our lives. In other words, he will go down to describe the very action that we might perform. And then there are other times when there are broad categories. Let me give you an illustration. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Paul says, Now the works of the flesh are evident or manifest, which are adulteries, fornications, lasciviousness, and he goes on to enumerate a number of things. And then he comes to this phrase, and the like, in which he sort of encompasses a number of things. There are other times, though, when you're in the Bible and you're taking broad categories, and then you have to realize they have some specifics that come under them. Here he says, whatever things are. And then he will begin and enumerate six different principles. They are whatever things are true, noble, just, pure, lovely, and good report. For just a few minutes, I'd like to explore these broad categories, these broad principles, and how they might be a part of our thinking, how they might find themselves in actions in our lives. Things that are true. There's truth in general, and then there's truth that is specific, the truth. When we start talking about truth in general, we're talking about veracity. That is, telling the truth, not lying, not even contemplating a lie. Perhaps one of the best illustrations I can think of this is found in the book of Genesis, chapter 12 and chapter 20. If you'll remember, Abram, later Abraham, was a man who spoke and told Pharaoh and told Abimelech, Sarah is my sister, failing to say that she was his wife. And the justification is found in Genesis chapter 12, verses 11 through 13. 
And it says, And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai's wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, This is his wife. And they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. Now, Abraham had to have contemplated this in his mind. He had to, as he got near Egypt, be going through and saying, Well, now, you know what? Sarah's beautiful. Someone is going to want her. And I don't want to die because of her. And so because of that, I've got to come up with something that will preserve my life. And so what goes on in his mind is, we'll lie. But he said, but it's not really a lie because she really is my sister. But it was deception. That's not telling the truth. Telling the truth involves our thinking what is true and then whatever comes out of our mouth. For instance, in Ephesians 4 verse 25, Therefore putting away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We find also in Revelation 21 and verse 8, But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, fornicators, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire and brimstone, which is the second death. On the other hand, we have to recognize that there is contained within God's word the truth. And there should be a time in which we say, I want to know what is correct, what is right, and where will I go to find the ultimate truth? And Jesus said in John seventeen seventeen, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Number two, noble. This adjective describes one who is reverent or grave. The passage there, the word that is found in this passage is found in three other places. And there it is translated in the New King James as reverent. If you're reading the original King James, it is translated grave. And there we read that likewise deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money. And Titus 2 and verse 2, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. But what would that mean? Well, I'm going to define some of these from the Bauer, Danker, Art, and Gingrich lexicon, which is, in my judgment, the best of the lexicons. And it says there, human beings worthy of respect or honor, noble, dignified, and serious. Another lexicon says of human beings, reverend, august, solemn, stately, and majestic. What this word describes is a person whose life, now this is an adjective, it's descriptive now, it's descriptive of a person who is serious. A person who is to be respected. And you and I ought to be thinking about things that are serious. Things that are honorable. 
things that will make people respect us for doing what is right. One of the best illustrations that I can think of is found in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 21. As Paul's writing the church there, he knows that they're collecting money to carry to the needy saints in Jerusalem. People are always suspect when somebody is involved with large sums of money. And Paul wants to make it clear, we're handling this in a very honorable fashion. He says what we're doing is we're having brethren travel with us, those who are your representatives, those who are others. And here's the way he summarizes it. Providing honorable things not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. You want to think these noble thoughts? You want to be reverent? You want to be grave? Live your life so that not only does God know that you're doing the right thing and respects your behavior, but you conduct yourself so that the guy that you work with, the guy that you go to school with, your friends, your neighbors know that you are a respectable, honorable person in everything that you do. Number three, just. This is a very common word in the New Testament. It's found, I'm not sure, I didn't count the times that it's found, but it's found a lot. And according to the lexicon, it means being in accordance with high standards of rectitude, upright, just, and fair, treating people like they ought to be treated. You know, sometimes we don't treat people like they ought to be treated. And you think about these, you have to think about your interaction, your dealing with other people. Let me give you a good illustration from Colossians 4, verse 1, where this word is used. He says, Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Here is a master. He has a bondservant. That's a slave. It's a person he's paid for. He tells them to treat those people justly, fairly. Now, if someone's your slave, what could you do? You could say, I'm not going to pay you today. I own you already. I'm not going to give you what you need. I'm not going to give you what you want. He says, you have to remember, you also have a master, God in heaven. Treating people justly and fairly is what God expects out of each of us. In Acts 10 and verse 22, talking about Cornelius, they said, and they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has good reputation among the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and hear words from you. He's a good man. And everybody knew it. On the other hand, I think about people who are not always just. Under the Old Testament system, you have a man by the name of Jacob who went to take a wife and ended up taking the daughters of Laban, Leah and Rachel. And as Jacob served under him, Laban must have thought all these years about how he could take advantage of his son-in-law. Took advantage of him with regards to his daughters. But then we learn later, Jacob saying, Your father has deceived me, and 
He has changed my wages ten times. Well, let's make an agreement, okay? But now I'm going to change the agreement. I'm going to treat you however I want to treat you. That's not just. That's not fair. Number three is the word pure. And the word pure, as found in the Bible, means unmixed with the elements of the world. Frequently, the word is translated chaste, which has reference to a physical purity. I'd like to point out to you that it's also used in a spiritual sense. In 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 2, Paul would write, For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. You understand the concept that Paul is using here? He says, I want to make sure that when I present you to Christ, that you are pure to use the words of David in the Old Testament, that you have clean hands and a pure heart. In First Titus chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, he speaks about the older women saying they should admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Older women should be communicating to these younger ladies. Love your husband. Keep faithful to your husband. Be chaste. Be pure. You give yourself to him and to him alone. See, the truth is, though, that some people are not pure in their thoughts. Jesus contemplated what men were thinking about in Matthew 5, verse 28. You see, they had thought in their minds, I can hate somebody as long as I don't do anything bad to them. And Jesus said, no, that's not correct. Evidently, some people had said, I can lust after them as long as I don't commit the act. And he said, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see, there's not the purity in his thoughts. Christians have to pursue purity. 1 John 3, 3, And everyone who has his hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Lovely. This word only occurs once here in the Bible, and it's a compound word which means friendly toward. The lexicon describes it as causing pleasure or delight Pleasing, agreeable, lovely, amiable. And you should think about how to be pleasing both to God and to man. Pleasing to God first. Always to God first. In the book of Colossians 1 and verse 10, he tells us exactly how. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him. How? Being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You want to please God? When you find an opportunity to do good, do it. When you have an opportunity to increase your knowledge, you grow. You've got to study your Bibles to grow in the knowledge of God. And then Proverbs 16, 7, very important verse for us. In fact, you need to put a big star by it in the margin of your Bible. When a man's ways please the Lord, 
He makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. If you will pursue trying to serve God, everything else is going to fall into its place. Then good report. This is found only in one other passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 8. In that context, Paul is describing how people have viewed him and what he was doing. And he says, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers yet true. He said there's some people who look at us and give us some honor. There's other people who look at us, though, and look at us at dishonor. There's some people who give an evil report regarding us and others a good report. The idea is one should consider things that will cause people to speak good about you. Give a good report. For instance, in 1 Timothy 3, 2, talking about elders, a bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach. The kind of person that people can look up and say, they've lived a good life. In 1 Timothy 5, verses 9 and 10, talking about elderly widows, these that are enrolled in verses 9. He says in verse 10, Well reported of for good works. It's not just elders. And it's not just elderly women. Every one of us should look at our lives so that people can look at us and say, They're good people. They're people who are trying to do what is right. You think about things like that. Acts twenty-two twelve. And then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony of the Jews who dwelt there. Good man. Now, very quickly, I want to now move to the idea of practice. If you look at the latter part of verse 8 and all of verse 9, we read, If there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, Meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Notice that he talks about virtue and praiseworthy. He's here not saying that these six things that we have discussed or all, he says, if there is anything that is virtuous, if there's anything that is praiseworthy, meditate on them. Virtue is the excellent quality of action, doing something praiseworthy, like Second Timothy 1 and verse 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Or if you're reading... Uh, some translate moral excellence. It describes quality of life. If you have an opportunity to do something that exhibits this quality in your life, praiseworthy is an action which draws the appreciation of others. Romans 13 and verse 3, he talks about those who do good will have the praise from the civil authorities. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 18. And we have set with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. I don't know who that brother was. 
My opinion is it was Luke, but I don't know that. When you think about brethren who are good and praiseworthy, he said, those are the kind of things I want you to meditate on. It's something you do. It's something you practice. And the meditation upon these things will result in one bringing praise for acting upon them. Listen to 1 Peter 2.12. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. Live so that people who are our critics can't do anything but ultimately praise God for it. Now I want to notice that major part of verse 9. He says, the things which you have learned, that involves Paul's teaching, received, that's their acceptance of them, heard things that Paul had done elsewhere, saw the things that Paul had practiced himself. He said, these do. He had presented these virtues in both precept and practice. He had taught them that. He had lived it. Look at Philippians 3, verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example. Look at me and you see what I'm trying to do. I want you to do the same. 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 12. But as you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions. He said, you've carefully followed me, Timothy, through every one of these. And then what he says, I want you to follow them and do them. John 13, 17, very simply, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And what is the result? The God of peace will be with you. One downfall of studying these passages week by week is that we sometimes don't put the verses together that belong there. But if you'll notice, back up just two verses. Verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Do these things, the God of peace will be with you. What kind of peace? This peace which passes all understanding. To do better, one must think better. I know some of you perhaps have made your New Year's resolutions. You know those things that you do for the first two weeks of January? But this is something that ought not be just a New Year's resolution. This ought to be a pattern of life. I've got to make sure that I think better thoughts. And you know what? If you think better thoughts, you're going to live a better life. Many of us need to be renewing our mind. Have you thought about what those words mean? I found several times in Scripture. In Ephesians 4, 20 through 24. But if you have not so learned Christ, indeed if you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man that grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, 
and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you may put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Think better thoughts. Renew your mind. And then act upon what you know. If you'll take your songbook now, let's prepare to sing this invitation song. What a wonderful privilege we have right now. This privilege is the fact that God has granted us this time. He's granted you this opportunity. We have people here who are not Christians. You've not yet obeyed the gospel. I want to plead with you to start out the year right. I am convinced that many of you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Having been convinced of that, believing that, repent of your sins. Confess your faith and then be baptized. The Bible tells you that's for the remission of your sins, Acts 2, verse 38. We also have among our number certainly those who've struggled with sin and you've allowed it to take hold in your life. You have an opportunity now that we can pray with you, for you. And we urge you, as you have this opportunity, if you need to respond, that you come as we stand and sing.